everything old is new again. America's entertainment pop culture talk show. It may well possess a rudimentary intelligence. I'm trying to think, but nothing happens. Felt a great disturbance in the force. Hello, I'm Mr. Ray. Come on, Mark, like a job for me. Meet me. Where's the goodies? Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. I bet you wouldn't have done anything like this if Mom and Dad were here. You filthy criminal. Excuse me while I whip this out. Go ahead. Make my day. Here are your hosts, Douglas Viviani and David Cohen. So what are you doing here? I live here. This is my home. I built this place. You weren't here for that, but some of us didn't just show up. Shut your damn mouth! You're really going to stand there and pretend you didn't try to sell us out, sell this place out? To the saviors? I was working for the side of sanity. I was working for peace. You threatened to kick people out. I tried to save lives. Now those people are cannon fodder. Those people are fighting for a better life. Ah, there we go. Everything old is new again here. Playing a clip from The Walking Dead Sands, David Cohen. But that's okay, because we have a very special guest star, someone that I know you know from his many, many appearances on television and the movies. Most recently, you just heard him. If you're a fan of The Walking Dead, you know Xander Berkeley as Gregory, the former leader, or the leader, depending upon where you are in the binge at this point, of The Hilltop. He's also known as uh, Sheriff Thomas McAllister on The Mentalist, George Mason in 24, Percy Rose on Nikita, uh, that's just on TV, but in film, Terminator 2, he's been in, Air Force 1, Sid and Nancy, of course, and Heat with Pacino, and uh, we've got uh, lots to talk about, but there's more. Sander Berkeley is a painter, a sculptor as well. His work can be seen on the website, The Real Xander Berkeley, B E R K E L E Y.com. We will certainly explore that and uh, a little bit later on in the show and, and, and more with uh, Xander Berkeley. Xander Berkeley, welcome to Everything Old is New Again. Well, thank you. It's nice to be here. That's nice to hear. Uh, it's nice to be uh, in uh, anywhere at this point in time. We're passing some time and having some great fun on the radio, bringing uh, some great special guests like yourself. And let's just start with The Walking Dead, just for the moment here. And let's talk about heroes versus villains. So I used to wait, watch these old uh, John Wayne movies. They weren't old at the time when they came out. With uh, you had Eli Wallach and Forrest Tucker. Uh, Ed Asner and the Cowboys, he had Bruce Dern to act opposite as the villain. So the villain, to me, needs a strong, well, the villain itself needs to be strong to have the hero stand out and be even stronger, if that makes sense, to be a hero. And you've played the bad guy on a lot of uh, shows, a person that a lot of people have come to to love to hate, if you will. And... um, I think it might take a, quite a bit of skill to get noticed, and you need to have uh, and establish yourself with some gravitas right off the bat as a guest star on a television show or in a series where you've got these series regulars that people know, and you're coming on board as the villain, let's say, for the week or maybe for a season, and people may not necessarily know you as a character. How do you build up immediately that gravitas to stand up as the villain against established actors in a series that the audience has already come to know if, if you understand what i'm saying you know you need to have you need to be strong as a villain but you got to do that right away because you don't have the time of the series of being built up as these regular characters have been yeah i mean and it, it uh, you sometimes i've 
played the the villain like in in Nikita with Percy from from day one, where it's established in the pilot. But you're right when you come into a thing that's a moving vehicle that is uh, going at a good speed and has a attracted the eye of many, uh, as say The Walking Dead had done. Um, it's a certain challenge. It's something that you know I've done a lot of, so perhaps I have the advantage of of having uh, done it to uh, to build the confidence to do it properly in a situation like that. Um, coming onto a set, I can remember it early on. I, I became um, the sheriff on on uh, on the CSI Las Vegas for a little while, and um, I had just finished with. Uh, 24 as a series regular and yet and I was just I remember being struck then that wow it's like everybody knows who they're sitting with at lunch and you know everybody's got relationships and you're coming in and you feel like the new kid in school with your tray <laughs> oh, I'm gonna sit, uh, well I guess I'll go sit with hair and makeup they know me they saw me in the trailer this morning <laughs> and you feel like the little Nelly boy that's sitting over there with hair and makeup like well you know it's it's just it puts you right back in that seventh grade kind of state of semi insecurity uh, if you're not sure of yourself. It can play on that, and you know I've I've gone on to sets. I can remember you know I'd be doing pretty big movies and working with you know my childhood heroes, and and they had treated me with great respect, and they were glad that you know they'd seen me in other things and knew that I tended to make guys like them look good. And so they were happy to see me on board and, and you get treat, treated with respect. And, and uh, that's a, always a confidence builder when, you know, you, you work with huge stars and they're, and they're glad to have you there and, and you get along and you hit it off. And, but then you, I can remember going TV because these, these shows, they're kind of like a little bubble. You know, now Walking Dead had earned the right to feel pretty good about itself. But other shows, like, they come and they go. And I can remember, you know, in the 80s and... I was like, I'd be off in foreign countries working with amazing actors on location and big filmmakers. And, and then I'd come back and I'd do some TV show where I'd never seen any of these people. And yet they were treating you because they believed the, the hype and the the press that was, you know, they were doing a lot of PR for the show. And every time that they do, they, they'd think that their show was either going to be or already was a huge hit and would be around forever. And, you know, you have a different perspective coming in and they're going to be gone in a blink. Right. And these people are lucky to have these jobs and, you know, they should always treat people coming in with respect. And, and I'll say right off the bat, Andrew Lincoln gets that he got that. And, uh, you know, in my opening scene with uh, the show was the scene I first appear, you know, which isn't always the case. Sometimes you got to go out of order and, and it just so happened that the opening scene that I did was my opening scene on the show where I come out and they're all in the, in the, the foyer and I've just come out of my study and Jesus, you're back, <laughs> you know, and then on to meeting all of them. Uh, and, and you've got company. And, uh, you know, I look around the room and take them all in and, and uh, I basically have to tell, tell them to go clean up because they're filthy. <laughs> and I, I run a tight ship and it's clean here and this is my house and you're you're, you're tracking things in and and uh you know so so uh, jesus show you where you go get cleaned up and come back and we'll have, have a little chat and uh and you know 
Andrew, as Rick says, you know, we're good. And I get, I just, on the first rehearsal, I just made the impulse to get right up in his grill and go, like I said, Jesus will show you where to go get cleaned up. And then we'll meet back down here later, right? Right in his face and like quiet in his ear and in his face. And, you know, I just thought that would be, there was just my instinct on doing it. And um, I waited and I went back to one after the, okay, let's just take it again. Cause there were a lot of logistics of people coming into the room and, and I was waiting cause you know, ordinarily that's when the director will come in and go, um, you can't get that close to our leading man. He, he would kill you. You know, he, he's, he, he's the kind of guy that would just, he, he wouldn't know can't do that and there's a lot of these unspoken rules and i was right. I've, I've been around long enough to where I, I go from the first rehearsal i try to push the limits to see how far i can go and instead of the director coming in curtailing me andrew comes in and hugs me and lifts me off the ground spins me around three times and goes i'm so glad you're doing this <laughs> and uh and because he, I, he you know he saw that you know, the, the, the role required that I come in and take over. And first right. of all, his vanity wasn't superseding his storytelling. And a lot of times, I got to say, you know, because we're going to come back to this as a as a villain, you have to be willing, especially a, a villain. You know, Gregory hardly even qualifies. I'm an antagonist right. in, the, in that show. Uh, you know, it's a lot easier to play a real villain, I'll tell you the truth. Um, it, it requires a tremendous sacrificing of vanity to play a character like a, a Gregory, essentially, <laughs> but is risk for the mill and is, a, as you said, a way to make a foil to make others look stronger and better and smarter and cooler and braver. And uh, but with um, Andrew just coming in and uh, knowing that that I needed to come in and take over and have a lot of confidence, he supported that. And it was great. So it's a fun. It's a function of uh, who you're acting with, of course, and, uh, and and that is a great example there. We'll talk a little bit about 24 and some movies uh, and a lot more uh, about artwork and so forth with uh, Xander Berkeley right here, right now, on Everything Old is New Again. Come on back. You don't want to miss this. Go to the Zan... The Re- Let me get it straight now. TheRealXanderBerkeley.com, and you will get a, a an eye view of what's going on uh, with his artwork and we'll talk about that in another section. Really fun, great stuff. We'll be back right at this. And everything old's new again. You're listening to Everything Old is New Again, America's entertainment pop culture talk show with Douglas Viviani and David Cohen. Hi, this is Alan Alda, and you're listening to Everything Old is New Again with Douglas Viviani and David Cohen. Yes, we're back here. Unfortunately, David's not here, but I have a great uh, special guest host, if you will, this week, Xander Berkeley, who is, uh, you, you know, from 24 and and just uh, and so many other shows on television that uh, you're just going to have a great time listening and peering, pe- peeling the, the onion if you hear behind the scenes. Go to, by the way, therealzanderberkeley.com and you'll uh, get a nice uh, view 
you as to what he's also doing with respect to art, uh, painted art and sculpture, and we'll get back to that in, in a moment. I played a little bit there of uh, Alan Alda as a return, not necessarily just to show off to you, if you will, but if we go back to 1981, you did appear on a, uh, a MASH episode as a Marine, so we're going to say it wasn't a, a huge part of, of course, the character didn't even have a name, but uh, the episode, if we want to look at that, is uh, Give Him Hell, uh, Hawkeye. I, I mention that because it's sort of a segue in some ways in that, of course, that show was serious but had humor in it as well. Many of your characters, especially the character on 24, uh, George Mason, and in The Walking Dead, did slip in one-liners and have a bit of humor to him as well. And uh, I don't think it's necessarily related to your appearance on MASH, but sort of a segue in bringing humor to a character. Does that develop through through your... Uh, presentation of the character or is it written for you or a combination of them? In other words, you're doing these villains or these shady characters a lot of the time, but they still have a sense of humor. They're still a well-rounded person. They still, they don't think of evil thoughts every day, every minute of the day, you know? And I think that's so smart to do. I wonder, does it come from your uh, development of that character or is it straight from the writers or maybe a combination? No, it's it's uh, sometimes it's in the writing like it was in, uh, in The Walking Dead because I had established that that was sort of my milieu. I, I had brought it, uh, you know, I was a guest star in the original pilot of 24 and, and I there was just wasn't a lot there. And so I, I kind of asked in advance, can I play with this a little bit? And, and they said, yeah, sure. We're just happy to have you come along. And uh, and I, I, I chose to, instead of making just a gratuitous kind of adversary to give him a, a center of being a, a center of gravity and to bring some gravitas but at the same time to bring some levity and because people in tough serious jobs I, one of the big mistakes I think they make in film and television a lot is just like what you're saying I, they don't think bad thoughts all the time they first of all everybody no matter who they are thinks they're doing the right thing uh, for themselves if not for others and and then generally speaking, if they're in dangerous circumstances, there there's still a, a certain amount of gallows humor and or um, nervous energy that is counterbalanced by comic energy and a sense of humor. And and I've always felt like that just helps make it feel more real, and it also makes it more entertaining, um, more believable, and more more fun. And so I, I like to bring a little irony, a little cryptic, cynical humor to a guy like that in order to because it seems like. With George Mason in the beginning, for this guy to be doing and hiding money and stuff like that, he's kind of got to be a little cynical. Right. And so instead of just making him nasty, making him like, nah, I don't care. You know, it's all, right. way. you know, give him a little something. And they liked that. And then so they started writing for that. And, you know, then and then they gave me a, a lot of freedom to improvise and, you know, embroider some of that to take it further. It's a, it's a collaboration. A lot. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of shows, uh, we've interviewed some Star Trek people and uh, some other shows that are strictly by the book, by the script, and don't give you that option. And not saying it's necessarily an option, but you made it uh, because... I would say made it happen, at least in those two roles and others, I think because you have a good sense of humor and you've sort of bring that in an experimentation, if you will, in the beginning. And maybe the, the writers then say, you know what, this is working. Let's let's write to this, I guess, is what you're saying in some ways, huh? Yeah. Well, and, you know, it's funny because I came out, I was brought out 
from New York as a young actor. And I, I'd done a lot of comedy on stage and I, it, was, it was sort of assumed that I was gonna end up sort of doing a sitcom. And in a way I, I balked at that because I wanted to be taken seriously as an actor and I didn't want to just be like a clown. <laughs> and, uh, so um, I, I targeted bad guy roles. My first movie was Mommy Dearest and you know that wasn't a comedy. Um, it wasn't right. supposed to be. <laughs> um, and uh, the opportunity, once you, you get the seal of approval put on your forehead, like you don't turn into a zucchini in front of a camera. Okay, we can put him in other things now. It's a, right. it's a rite of passage getting that first film. And then right away I said, well, look, they need a bad guy on every episode of television. I, I'd spent years training as an actor in the theater and I'd been in, you know, it was one play after the next for 10 years by the time I was 25 years old. And, uh, and that's how old I was when I did Homage during 24, 25. And, and I, I just said, I, I want to get used to cameras. And if I can get paid to learn how to do that, that'd be great. So let's go for TV. Cause I thought these things are disposable. Nobody's ever going to see the show again after it airs. Maybe, maybe once or twice. I didn't know that 40 years later, <laughs> still there to haunt me. Exactly. But, uh, um, but you know, it seemed like a good opportunity, and that they needed a bad guy on every show, and they they always had to, you know, bring him to justice and take him away by the end, and uh, you know, the, on to the next. And so I, I had a lot of uh, accents up my sleeve, a lot of uh, behavioral uh, abilities to morph, and I was a makeup artist, and uh, since from a very young age because of the crossover from the artwork, and. Um, so I, I liked to see also in that period of time how far I could go in terms of um, being a chameleon and adapting and, and transforming from one role to the next. Um, and uh, and then in the process, I think I just kind of got, you know, in everybody's head as a good bad guy and uh, kept kept going there. And, and, you know, then it was harder for people to perceive me as anything. But, but you know, if you, if you watch a movie like the maestro, M-A-E-S-T-R-O. I finally get to play a good guy. Right. <laughs> and I can do it. You know, I can be like And I love the idea that you do uh, things that are very uh, seen, so to speak, very, you know, it's on television, it's in your face, but also... These days, we've got Blockbuster. If the Blockbuster uh, seems to be the only thing that's in the movies, and I love the idea that you're very interested in independent uh, uh, productions and you know the- theater that, uh, well, movies. But it's I say theater is a Freudian slip in that I think the independent movies are bringing more gravitas or you know to these to drama to characterization. Believe me, I love the Avengers. Everyone listening knows I love all that stuff, but it has its place. I also like to hear and see what's going on in people's minds and real life dramas or documentaries, so to speak, or life stories yeah. like the Maestro was. You know, that that's important work, too. And I'm going to ask you, I guess, I presume you agree on some level, but why do you like to do these independent movies? Well, that's really where my heart is. At the end of the day, I did a movie called Sid and Nancy, which you referenced in the beginning pretty early in my career. I, I let it sort of um, be a, a, shape, a game changer for me because I, I felt like I, first of all, I got to improvise uh, in reworking the script with, with Gary and Alex and, and Chloe and Roger Deakins. We would sit and rehearse a scene the day before uh, we would shoot it. And, um, you know, at the end of a day's work, we would all hang out a little bit longer and just go over the material for the following day. And they were shooting it in more or less chronological sequence. So 
it's always a great luxury so you can adapt things when when the characters are, are gaining weight as theirs had done not physically but aesthetic weight uh reality weight um <clears throat> and things aren't adding up in the script as originally written they can take it apart and go well what need what do we need to change here and that's always been my favorite way of working in a, in a lot of ways and we did a lot of that on 24 because uh, the scripts had to change because, uh, you know, 9-11 happened when we were shooting the first episode back after the pilot. And they had to change the pilot because it was just way too close. And a lot of the terrorist storylines were just a little disturbingly close. And so there was a lot of, we had to think on our feet and they were able to take advantage of actors like myself that, that are pretty good on our feet as improvisers and uh, taking a, a sort of a, more or less of a, stark outline and, and fleshing it out and um a lot of the filmmakers mike figus i did four films with from uh internal affairs to leaving las vegas to uh, one night stand to time code and in all of them i improvised almost every word of what i spoke hmm. and he knew that about me because he gleaned it from Sid and nancy and uh from the stuff i'd done with alex and um, both British filmmakers, and great filmmakers, independent filmmakers. And, and those kinds of films just to me were so exciting as part of the creative process that I always yearn for more. And, and a lot of times to do smaller budget independent films gives you that freedom. And The Maestro is definitely one to see. It really is a uh, a, a nice movie. Like, you know, there are movies that uh, just... Ex these. Let me put it this way. There are these documentary kind of movies, and they're just kind of flat, and they just kind of like walk the line, so to speak, and they tell you the story. And uh, there are others that really uh, do this well, where it's sort of a person you don't know anyway, but still with Maestro. But, you know, it goes beyond... And you really get to see what's going on. And I think it's, it's like a play, honestly, on... In the movies, if that makes any sense, you're you're evaluating and learning what the person's thinking and what they're going through uh, more than just seeing the chronologically of, of what the things went on in their life. If that makes sense, you know. And in part, that's a function of spending a couple of weeks with the director every day, uh, improvising and you know working with the other actors and and seeing how you flesh out a script and having a, a producer and a director that are open to and, and uh, eager to uh, take advantage of, of uh, actors who have an ear for dialogue and, and can improvise in the vernacular of their character. And yeah, you know, that, that one's on Amazon Prime. And there's another one that, uh, that I did a while back, again, fairly obscure. It was a web series in the very beginning with Hulu, at their very beginning, uh, called The Booth at the End. And, um, and that's just another one where by it being a smaller scale project, you have you can bring a lot more of your ideas to bear. And it's worthwhile looking those up and more. Uh, we'll be back right here on Everything Old is New Again with Xander Berkeley, the real XanderBerkeley.com. Right after this, Everything Old is New Again. Now, back to America's Entertainment Pop Culture Talk Show. Everything old is new again with Douglas Viviani and David Cohen. Radioactive material. What kind of radioactive material? They're still doing field analysis on it. I don't know. Is anyone exposed? All of them in the back. We can take it. Uh, they're putting this through decon now. Precautionary measure. 
Let's get a move on. Look, Tony, we have three dead bodies. We send you photos and fingerprints on them. See if they match up with anybody in our watch list. Uh, welcome back. Everything old is new again. A rather serious, difficult situation for George Mason in uh, 24. And uh, we're here with uh, Xander Berkeley, who was the uh, performer for, for that uh, character, of course. And he has been in so many projects. How did I count up here? I wanted to do so. Yeah, I have 73 different television shows that this gentleman's appeared on and it, uh, it's amazing. That's just television alone, not to mention all the movies, which we'll talk about in a moment but, or the next section. But that shows that the gentleman has I think a passion for acting, but just as he brings well-rounded characters, mostly villains, but not always, well-rounded characters Characters to the screen, I, I think uh, the passion to do that also is expressed in your artwork. And I wonder, can you tell us a little bit about how or what's when you started and what started you with art to begin with? My father uh, was a painter and a, a illustrator, a book illustrator, who went on to become head of the art department for a publishing company. Uh, but always kept doing artwork and it would cut as a printmaker and, and um, super great artist. And he encouraged from day one, we get art supplies every birthday and Christmas in addition to whatever else. And, and he even saw that, uh, you know, I was into the, the theater. I had impulses to play characters from very early on. My mom knew how to sew and put a costume together. And, and he saw that sometimes I was doing these stage fights and stuff like that. And then I was working with burnt cork and ketchup. So he got me a good makeup kit and the, the Richard Corson book on stage makeup. And I started into that pretty early on. And that was my way of finding a character a lot of times. And I was a mask maker in the theater from a very young age on. And, and, uh, so there was there were crossovers and i was always doing art my older sister was the artist she was a couple of years older and and had staked out that turf pretty clearly and uh <laughs> so i always kept doing it i was always drawing and 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 but i didn't start painting again until later i did a, a, a series of paintings in high school and they got uh put into a big uh, they were accepted into some uh collection thing that was a presentation and they were they were stolen and that rather traumatized me at the time and i uh i didn't go back to painting i, I did i continued to sculpt and i sculpted in college and I worked in bronze and and in uh and in all kinds of wood and stone and uh continued to work with clay and all kinds of other things forever but it wasn't until i was a little bit older that i got back into painting and it I never stopped drawing. It was always a thing as an actor, there was a great crossover between studying people and being given an excuse to stare at them and actually, you know, draw them in as it were through, through drawing and download data about human behavior and gesture and body language. And uh, just by doing if I ever got busted, if I was in a cafe and somebody say, hey, what do you, what are you doing over there? Well, I'm drawing. You want to hear? I give the drawing away, and then I, I was we were we were cool. And uh, <laughs> you know, there, there are other times it was even you know kind of more confrontational. But for the most part, it was curiosity. And if ever I got caught, I'd give people the drawing. Um, then they were happy, and we were good. But uh, yeah, um, 
it, it's just a, a way that, you know, and on location, when I was working as an actor or whether waiting for a job, I never was idle. I was always active and being creative on my own terms, not having to wait for someone else to determine how or when I would be creative. I was content. And uh, that took a lot of the psychic pressure off of getting another job. And I think it helped me in, in many ways, but it also has a direct crossover in terms of the study of human behavior and, and ultimately preparing me to be a director, which I'm going to be when I grow up. How about that? And uh, lots of your work are of uh, characters or of character. Not, what do you call them? I mean, you draw people. I, I'm not so adverse in it, but you know, you're doing a lot of portraits. I would say that. And uh, you did one of Jesus. You did one of yourself that I've seen uh, that are very unique, beautiful unto themselves, and very uh, much uh, bring out an emotion of an individual. A lot of times when when you're looking at these. And by the way, you can take a look at these on uh, the real Xanderberkeley.com. The real Xanderberkeley. Berkeley.com. Uh, so let me ask, you know, because I have a, a child that's eight that loves and uses art, I think lots of kids do, as an outlet, and he really gets a kick out of it and starts, you know, the, his day, the homeschooling now, and if Monday morning is the first lesson, is his art lesson, that's the one he wants to do first. Um, you know, is there something, and he may not be professional at it, of course, but certainly is there something you t you get out of it that's, you just described some of it, but that, that's therapeutic and that, that is something that you would recommend, let's say, for other people that may not become professional at it, and they might be, <clears throat> but to encourage their children to get involved with art? Yeah, I, I think so, absolutely. I mean, for me, I've made it my life's goal to, to uh to never grow up, I guess, essentially, I, I make believe, I play pretend, and I and I, and I do artwork. Um, your favorite things to do as an eight-year-old, um, but um, but I think um, it can really teach you to look and more than look to really see and uh, see the world around you and and to uh, in drawing people. I've always felt it really. It's a reminder to observe others and as an actor that's so key instead of just making everything up out of your own you know self-involvement um to to go outside of your skin and take in the three-dimensionality and weight of another human being and um you know i think that's one of the reasons why actors tend to be liberals uh <laughs> by and large because we're we're empathizers and we we have to, 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 to act well, generally, you have to be able to really put yourself in someone else's skin. And that takes observing people and caring about people in a weird way, even if you're playing bad guys. In real life, in order to do, the, do a decent job of bringing them to life, you've had to have really, uh, you know, extended yourself outside of yourself to take others in. And, um, and I think, you know, that's what creates a kind of empathy for humanity because you, you do that and you really get that we're all connected and right. we're all because you try to bring also your three-dimensionality into the skin of another so that you're thinking and feeling and moving in a, in a world that is real but really is an amazing skill to be able to do that by uh you know it looks like mostly painting at little pastels maybe i think and what 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 do you prefer with respect to art to, to use as your uh, canvas you know, I haven't even looked at this website. Somebody just made it for me, so I'm okay. not sure exactly what's up. But the ones that you've referenced um, seem to me, uh, first of all, I think it's ironic. The Jesus painting was bought recently uh, at a show I had in, in Chicago 
by uh, Penn Gillette, who is a that? world famous uh, atheist. Yeah, uh, atheist. So I, I think there was a, a great uh, irony in that uh, I made a Jesus that moved him, um, <laughs> <laughs> not to want to have him um, in his life. And uh, so, but um, there's in those in that series of paintings, there's a lot of layers. A lot of time went into them. Uh, a time maybe that people that relied on painting strictly as their source of income wouldn't be able to invest. Um, but because I have the luxury of being a, an actor for a living, I, I can try and experiment with things that others might not uh, have the time or willingness or even the, the expense of the materials involved. Um, in oil painting, it's very rare. Uh, I'm sure it's advised strongly against doing what I do in the way of building up surfaces and layers. But I've done it as a process of learning about oil paint over the past 20 some odd years, 25 years I've been doing oil painting. And um, and I so I'm always experimenting with different mediums and different uh, colors and, and trying to build up a history and layers the way I think people are, like you, you said, the onion peel uh, reference that we are made up of layers as we get older and just as our dimensionality is what it is. And so I... Uh, I've done a thing where it's, I've built up layers and then excavated back through different, because I've also been a sculptor for forever. Uh, I'm familiar with those tools. And so to see the time that went into something and to show the layers, uh, the different colors and textures, and these things are, have a sensuality to me and a, and a dimensionality to me that um, has been really interesting to experiment with. And uh, we're having a, a great time here with uh, Xander Berkeley talking all things art at this point. We had uh, uh, Dr. Peter Weller from RoboCop and many others uh, on as well. He's a Renaissance art uh, uh, professional, and, and, and he's his doctorate in that. So we've had some art discussions with him, but not from the artist's point of view. So it's nice to, in turn, hear the way you uh, approach the subject. And I wish we had more time in this moment, but we will when we come back on Everything Old is New again to continue talking art and other things with uh, with the real Xander Berkeley and the real Xanderberkeley.com. B-E-R-K-E-L-E-Y. We'll be back right after this on Everything Old is New again. This is Everything Old is New Again, America's entertainment pop culture talk show with Douglas Viviani and David Cohen. Wow, nice trick, Bubble Brain. And I bet the cheesy magician act really goes over big with the tourists. You dare call Mysterio a magician? Fool! Mysterio is no illusionist playing parlor tricks. Mysterio is the master of the arcane arts! Well, seems to me Mysterio is the master of talking about himself in the third person. We shall see. Uh, welcome back to Everything Old is New Again. This is Douglas Viviani. That is the spectacular Spider-Man animated uh, television series. And we just heard a little bit there from, is it the real Mysterio as opposed to the one that appeared in the movies? Anyway, the A version of Mysterio. <laughs> that... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we have the gentleman that voiced that character with us, as you know, Xander Berkeley. Uh, you know, I'll tell you, honestly, I'm looking at your face. We're on Zoom here while I uh, play that clip, and a chill ran up my spine. I'll tell you why. The voice is so different 
that you create there with for Mysterio that I'm saying to myself, holy smokes, did I do the right thing? Did I actually play a clip of him <laughs> speaking? What's going on? Because you you were sort of steadfast, you know, straightforward. And, and I, I so let me ask you, certainly that was you. And if so, boy, it really is a different voice. It must be a whole different art form to be able to perform in an animated project, no? Oh, absolutely. You know, one of the things I, I, I referenced before, sorry, I, have, I haven't turned my notifications off. That's um, okay. The, uh, the range, the, the widest possible range I can have in terms of the transformation I can make as an actor to help tell stories so that the audience is lost in this story and in that character instead of being uh, constantly reminded of me from something else. Um, so that's always been a thing of mine, which is a little bit of self-sabotage because you really don't get famous without becoming un un unmistakably identifiable. But, um, but that's, that's always been my thrill is the transformation in the theater. I started out where the biggest joy for me was at the, uh, when the subscription audience would come on opening night and, and you'd have the little party with them afterwards. And then they would argue that that was not you in the last play that could, no, 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 that wasn't you. Come on, come on. And, yeah. Yeah. That was, that was, me. um, <laughs> And the the range has always been the thing that the, the, the idea of sort of time travel and and uh, transmogrification, some transformation taking place is the biggest sort of magical thrill for me in it. And then in animation, that's extended even further because you don't have to be constrained by your physicality. You can be like when I did uh, ah, Real Monsters, I got to be Snab and Urbab. And they, you know, they're very different from me physically. Um, and <laughs> Thankfully. <laughs> you know, in Gargoyles, I got to be an old Scottish gargoyle. And I, I just did an audition uh, the other day for, for, I shouldn't say which one, because they'll feel like I'm, I'm counting on them hiring me. Um, it would be a great one. But I had to be this a certain working class guy from who's, who's an old timer. And, and I suddenly, from my episode of Heart to Heart, had this deep affection and wanted to honor... Lionel Stander, who was in an early Polanski movie called Cul-de-Sac. And there was a line that a friend of mine and I used to reference. And so I just had his voice in the ready from, he, he at one point reaches into Donald Pleasant's plays this great little rich guy who's got Jackie Bissett, a young, hot Jackie Bissett as his wife. And, and these gangsters take over in Cul-de-Sac. And, and uh, Stander is the lead gangster who's taken over the house. And, and, and uh, Pleasance has been very fast. No, 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 you mustn't do that. You, you, you shouldn't put your feet up there. And he's like, at one point, he just, he's a big guy. He just grabs the hat off of Pleasance's head. And he goes, I'm being regular with you. And you are being snotty with me. <laughs> Quit being snotty with me. And and so that that, that voice just, I just always found it charming. And so I'm like, okay, I've got to do that voice because people don't know him anymore. Right. And he was so brilliant. And, and, and I got to know him, you know, after he'd been like this childhood kind of like, hero in a weird kind of way i was i love the obscure character actors you know my father did too and i you don't want to please our fathers but well I, have you heard of the uh, the carney awards just as a, as an aside uh, they they sort of honor these obscure character actors now uh, i with won that. one the third year in the, i have a carney award exactly forever. that's why i wanted to bring our audience along <laughs> with that uh <laughs> it is it's a it must be a real uh, you know real kick to to finally you know have an award of that nature uh and aimed at the art carney who yeah, second banana so and all cool. this you know yeah, and Art really was a star, so it's a little different. Right. But he, he uh, I, I think it's great that his kid, 
uh, you know, two of his sons, I think, and but certainly this other guy. Um, maybe it's just the one son and this and 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 the and no, it was two other brothers who worked with his son to create to come up with this concept of this award to acknowledge the, uh, the obscure character actors that uh, that transform and don't really necessarily want to make it all about them, but that make others look good in the process of. Uh, of helping to tell the story or being the adversary, the antagonist and or the villain or whatever it is just to, uh, you know, it's, it's a big part of the business that the business, you know, you never see them on talk shows. You right. never see us, you know, it's always the, the young hot thing and the, and the big star and whoever's in the lead role, uh, always, you know, we've got some of the best stories. I mean, they correct. Really get some of us on. And that's why we have them on Everything Old is New Again, for sure, because it's the best location to explore all of this. I love also, just as an aside, uh, I, I went to a Honeymooners convention in uh, the Feld Forum 20 years ago, and Art Carney's son came out, and he brings out the hat. And he does the yeah. same with the Carney Awards. He brings the hat out, so you can see wow. the, the hat from the Honeymooners 1953. Anyway, I'm running out of time, so I want to say uh, thank you. But also, what uh, is on the horizon for us to see Xander Berkeley appear in? Um, well, there were a few things. I'm, I'm sad for uh, the couple of projects for the directors that they didn't get their big moment. We were about to, like, right this week, I think, at the it had the Tribeca Film Festival been going on, I guess it was last week, um, we were going to have the uh, premiere of a film called The Dark and the Wicked, mm. uh, which I was excited about. Brian Boitano's uh, return to uh, the realm of horror, and um, it really should be a cool film. And I was, it, To be in Tribeca already bodes well. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm excited to see it. And The, the Wall of Mexico... Um, was a film that I did in Mexico and uh, with some great people and was very excited about it getting a theatrical release. It opened at the South by Southwest and and it got a theatrical release. It was going to have its big premiere this month in New York. And I guess that's not going to be happening. So I, I feel bad for these guys. They worked so hard to sort of get something together to make it happen and then have it do well and get in these festivals or get a, a release. Uh, another film called um, Dark Harbor, in which I also play a pre I'm going through my priestly phase, uh -huh. um, but they're not terribly well. One actually might be a little evil because I think he might also be the devil. Mm, which movie is that? Dark and the Wicked? Mm -hmm, maybe. <laughs> well, we'll leave it so we have to watch all three to figure that out. I collaborated with a spider on the dark and the wicked because uh, I was playing an old Southern, you know, minister priest and, uh, and uh, come up to a pickup truck in the opening scene, Michael Abbott and, and uh, a spider leapt off the truck onto my hat and stayed up there for the entire, and the, I was so pleased that Brian didn't make us cut and take the, because it's a big spider and he stayed up there the, from all angles, every, the entire scene built a little nest up on top but kept just crawling right under the rim right but and there's a whole sequence where there's spiders in the movie so it worked like oh my god that, that was a good bad omen that's tremendous well let's hope you never know uh they are releasing i don't know how long this whole thing's gonna last but they are releasing well they're pushing to release dates back but they're also releasing sometimes straight to uh you know, the, yeah. the pay-per-view yeah. disney's even doing that i think they did on trolls and whatever and uh it's 
It, it really would maybe maybe if that catches on if you have to uh, do that if if you're searching for a movie search everyone search the word dark and see if you'll find dark harbor or the dark and the wicked maybe they'll be released that way if not you know down the line uh, maybe they'll be released theatrically you just got to keep an eye out for these dark right? and the wicked is going to be doing other festivals in one form or another it's so i can't wait to see it tribeca bodes well for anything just like right south by southwest did for uh, the wall of mexico and that one is going to get released and and definitely keep an eye out for the wall of mexico it's a smart interesting comedy uh dramedy um and yeah and we're bringing film production to maine there's a diaspora out of hollywood and and i've, I've got two different properties in addition to one where we live that i'm developing for film production well, that's tremendous. That's a great idea. Film production and and television came to Long Island a little ways back in a couple of shows, and it's exciting to see it expand out to different a venue than staying in the one location out west. You know, so uh, we look forward to that as well. And I guess what we could do is we could keep an uh, an eye out for what you're doing through uh, I don't know through the the real Xander website. Yeah, I'm going to get much more involved with that website, both as an artist, as a producer, and an actor. So. Uh watch for more there yes that's probably a good release so we'll, we'll announce it again the real xander of course x a n d e r berkeley b e r k e l e y you got to spell it right dot com to get onto the website i think it'd be a great idea uh, uh mr berkeley we've had a tremendous time with you we really enjoyed it the time just flies so i'll put this on the air we would love to have you back at any time feel free to contact us if you'd like to do so we may actually reach out to you uh and Me harass too. you but we really uh, enjoyed it as well you're great and i'm sorry i missed david but look forward to hope everything is good with him and and i uh, look forward to talking to him down the line as well. terrific thank you yes we'll we'll hold you to that now we've got you on tape so we'll uh <laughs> hold you to that <laughs> but we really made some radio fun uh times here and I, I thank you so much for your time we'll be back next week to continue talking all things entertainment pop culture on everything old is new again <laughs> You've been listening to Everything Old is New Again, America's pop culture entertainment talk show. Find us on the web at everythingoldisnewagain.biz. That's .biz. See you next week. Same bad time, same bad station.